country virus in China that now has the World Health Organization on edge. At least four people have died and hundreds more are sick, though there are concerns five times as many people could be infected. China has identified the cause of the mysterious pneumonia outbreak in Wuhan city. And it's from the same family that caused the deadly SARS epidemic 17 years ago. It has been confirmed that there are two cases now in England. This is a statement from uh, Professor Chris Whitty, who's the chief medical officer uh, for England. He said, we can confirm that two patients in England who are members of the same family have tested positive for coronavirus. There are cheers from the Atletico Madrid supporters here at Anfield tonight. The title will arrive in the coming days, there's no doubt. But Liverpool's reign as European champions comes to an end. It's finished 3-2 on the night to Atleti and they knock out Liverpool on aggregate by four goals to two. The FA, Premier League, EFL, Barclays FA Women's Super League and FA Women's Championship have collectively agreed to postpone the professional game in England until the 3rd of April at the earliest. This action, which will be kept under constant review, has been taken due to the increasing number of clubs taking steps to isolate their players and staff because of the COVID-19 virus. The postponements include all matches in the Championship, League One and League Two, as well as academy and youth team fixtures. Guess who's back, back again. We're still awaiting official confirmation from the Premier League, but it is understood that clubs have agreed to that restart date of June the 17th. After 96 days, or to be more precise, 2,304 hours, the Premier League returns with Project Restart on its marks and set to go. As soon as we had confirmation that clubs had unanimously agreed to contact training, this was the next logical step. It has been a long, layered, uncertain and unprecedented process of navigating a global pandemic to get back on the pitch. There will be a liability issue for employers, so I'm not sure how Premier League clubs are going to get around it. I'm Melissa Reddy, and over this three-part series, we'll be exploring the hurdles, the adjustments, and analysing every facet behind the resumption of England's top flight as well as its future with expert voices from around the game. The Premier League did get vilified for, for, for coming up with some of these proposals early on. Helping them adjust to those changes will have been um, a real key focus for the for the support staff at the clubs. It had to be, be an environment which was safe for us to return. This is the return of the Premier League exclusively on Football Ramble Daily. When you come here, it's not like, yippee, you think, to where do I have to drive and where do I have to, where is somebody who gets my temperature and all that stuff. That's, that's how it is now. Episode one, how we got here. Project Restart is all systems go and the Premier League is back. For a while, this seemed implausible given all the obstacles and self-competing interests. At stages, it has felt more like Project Slam Football, Project Emphasize the Problems, and Project Sabotage. But through multiple negotiation phases, through slog, through heavily investing in coronavirus testing, through ensuring the safest working environment possible, and through necessity, England's top flight will resume on June 17. That's what we were all waiting for. 
Um, yeah, but now it's always like this. We are waiting for that. Somebody tells us there yeah, we can start. So that's good. Now we know it from a, from a, from a training point of view. What we have to do when um, when we have to be uh, yeah at 100 in the best way. Uh, when we how we can judge and and and, and yeah how we can train in different intensities. Um, so that was very important. But now of course it's getting a bit more and more interesting. It's easy to forget just how seismic the suspension of football is given all the time that has passed. You'd have to go back to September 1939 for the last time the game was forced to stop in England when Britain and France declared war on Germany after Adolf Hitler invaded Poland during World War II. This country is at war with Germany. You can imagine what a bitter blow it is to me that all my long struggle to win peace has failed. A whole world war. 81 years ago. Only three matches of the season were played then, and so null and voiding it was straightforward. Finding a resolution this time around was the opposite. Before we dig into how we got to this point, let's look at the factors that forced a suspension of elite football in England. Two minutes of additional time at the end of the first period of extra time. Here's the man of the hour, Llorente, who shoots again and scores again! On March 11, Liverpool's Champions League game against Atletico Madrid controversially went ahead at Anfield, with over 3,000 travelling fans, despite Spain's capital, seeing a spike in coronavirus cases. Spaniards are waking up to a much uh, more sombre country. Uh, you mentioned those school bans. Uh, for the next two weeks, uh, uh, school children, for instance, in Madrid and in the north, in places like Victoria and the wine region La Rioja, will be kept at home as a preventative measure to halt the spread uh, between uh, of the virus. After a few cases, were diagnosed uh, with school children. Uh, there is also a flight ban uh, of flights coming in from Italy. The visiting fans were not allowed to gather in their own country, but were permitted to fly into the UK, use public transport, pile into restaurants and pubs, as well as attend the game on Merseyside. Local MPs worked to raise the issue with Health Secretary Matt Hancock in the House of Commons and the sentiment that football should halt began to grow as coronavirus rapidly spread. But a day later, the Premier League insisted the weekend's fixtures would be going ahead as planned. Hours after that, Mikel Arteta tested positive for COVID-19, which forced an emergency club meeting the next morning. Despite Prime Minister Boris Johnson insisting there is no medical reason at the moment to ban such events, as the scientific evidence is that it has little effect on the spread, elite football in the country was stopped on March 13. Well, it seems like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it, that football tried to continue in the face of mounting calls for it to shut down. I remember it so very clearly. The Daily Mirror's Darren Lewis recalls how ridiculous the government's position was at the time. The Prime Minister had released a video with one of his advisors, medical advisors, saying that it was safe for large-scale gatherings to continue, even though football people were saying, look, 
people are dying. It's ridiculous for us to continue hosting matches right now. And that Thursday night, still very vivid in my memory, it was around about half past 10 that the news came through from Arsenal that Mikel Arteta had tested positive for the coronavirus. And suddenly we saw that football did have the power to shut itself down. It didn't need to follow government advice. It could make a decision for itself. And very quickly, the game suddenly realised it could not continue. I think, but for that positive test with Mikel Arteta, it possibly would have continued that weekend and that would have been a damning indictment on the sport when you consider how many people had said, look, we cannot continue. The brutal truth is that maybe the other people that had tested positive for the coronavirus were not high profile enough and it was a bad look for the manager of Arsenal to suddenly fall ill before a decision could be made. But if you look at it another way, it it was good that the Premier League were very quick, very responsible, and they took the decision to protect the safety of the other players and managers. So yeah, it, it did go on for far too long, but in the end, they came round to the right decision. I remember the events of that week very well because I had been reporting on Arsenal and Chelsea in the days leading up to the Premier League suspension. You know, I'd been at London Colney, I'd interviewed Pablo Mari, I'd been to Cobham. By Charlie Bardwodge, a Premier League broadcaster covering London, was working during that fast-moving period. And it all started when Arsenal's game away to Manchester City was postponed after the Olympiacos owner tested positive for the coronavirus and it had emerged that several of the Arsenal players had actually come into contact with him following their Europa League game. But the twist in the story uh, was to come because, of course, Mikel Arteta then tested positive shortly before Chelsea released a statement to say that their winger Callum Hudson-Odoi had also tested positive. Now, the day after those positive tests were announced, I was actually sent to report from the Emirates Stadium live into our morning show. And, you know, we started that show knowing that the suspension was coming. We'd heard it was going to happen and actually knowing it could be announced live on air. And that's exactly what happened because halfway through the show, it was confirmed that the Premier League was being suspended until the 4th of April. And, you know, it was very much an evolving situation because of what was happening at Everton and Bournemouth with self-isolations and also West Ham. Now, looking back at it in hindsight, and even when actually the Premier League uh, made the announcement, it felt like the right decision. I think it was the right decision because of the obvious threat of people spreading the virus. And I think the Premier League took that decision quickly, um, despite the fact that the government still had not announced a uh, national lockdown. How hard was adjusting to the suspension for professional footballers? Bournemouth defender and Wales international Chris Metham broke down the psychological and physical challenges. I think it's very difficult and I think the uncertainty of it all is what I found most difficult. Um, I think if there was a specific date which came out earlier then you can sort of work towards that date but I think it was very much all up in the air in terms of whether it's going to go ahead. For a lot of the players, that's what they probably found most difficult, having quite strict guidelines which don't allow you to sort of go out and do things that you normally do. I think obviously used to it, like you said, a set routine where we go into train and we do gym afterwards, we go home, look after our bodies and then suddenly not to to have that routine to wake up to every day is 
difficult to not have a focus um, day in day out and it obviously went on for quite a long time and like I said before no one sort of knew when when the return would be so yeah to be sort of stuck inside for for a long time it's, it's challenging for everyone not just footballers but other other athletes um, other people in, in society it's, it's really difficult to suddenly go from having to focus every day whether it's work or whether it's in our case football um, but I think that's then when you sort of need to find an alternative which obviously follows follows the guidelines whether it be sort of cooking or something else that you wouldn't necessarily normally do as footballers we're used to sort of thinking about football all the time it's not a case of um when we go into training we're sort of our minds are on football and then when we go home it's completely off I think being a professional footballer your mind always has to to be with football when you sort of go home you need to look after your bodies recover for the for the training session the following day or sort of preparing for the game game on the weekend so yeah, I think definitely I'm sure in a lot of people's minds everyone was sort of wanting to wanting to go back into that environment of training every day um, it's a big part of our lives and we obviously spend spend a lot of our time around the training ground with our teammates so to not sort of have that around every day it does become tricky but I think the, the whole thing all along was that the, the health of our friends our family just the general public was always the most important thing and it should always I'm sure always will come first um, in front of any sort of sport so I think yeah as a group of lads we definitely agreed with the fact that it had to be right to return that it had to be be an environment which was safe for us to return the staff at the football clubs will spend uh, a great deal of time with these players um, they'll see them at, at breakfast time before training begins they'll be in airports with them at, at three o'clock in the morning on the way back from european games so they've got very close working relationships with with these players and, and that contact with them over this period of time both from a, a support mechanism for for their training as you say for the nutrition and, and the physiological preparation will have been really important Dr. Stuart Morton is the program leader and senior lecturer in sport, outdoor and exercise science at the University of Derby. He has worked with a number of national and international teams on preparation for high level performance. That kind of social interaction as well um, with the players will have been uh, will have been key to to maintaining their motivation to adhere to these these training programs that have been been set for them over the last few months and keeping them at a state of readiness so that when the the games do come come back around which obviously aren't too far away now that the players can can get back to that level of performance as, as quickly as possible like the premier league managers that have been saluting their nutritionists conditioning teams, medical departments and psychologists for helping players navigate an unprecedented situation, he believes sports science has been crucial during the pandemic. Yeah, the te- the uh, Premier League teams will have been working really hard to, to maintain that contact with the players uh, and helping them through, uh, through these difficult circumstances. Some of the players will have had lots of facilities at home and available to them um, for, the, for the preparation physiologically for the games. Others may be less so. So some of these uh, some of these coaches will have had to think on their feet a little bit in terms of designing some of these programmes and these uh, activities for the players to, to help them maintain their, their levels of performance. 
we refer to them as, as footballers. You know, we see them as, as, as footballers rather than people who play football. So they really define them, uh, themselves by the, the, the sport that they play. And they have to because of you know, the high level of competition and therefore the adherence that they need to um, to undertake to you know the training programs, the nutrition and, and everything else. So to have that taken away suddenly removes a big part of, of their lives. And again, for the, the teams across the um, various elements of the of the football clubs whether those are the sports scientists the psychologists or the coaching staff to help the players adapt to that in initial stages will have been key to to really maintaining that um, that willingness to to strive towards maintaining the physiological preparations and, and adhering to the nutritional programs that have been been given to them as you say, they spend a huge amount of time at the, at the training grounds with their um, with their fellow teammates, but also with the support staff. So, helping them readjust to, to living in uh, initially in isolation, and then in the last few weeks, coming back to the training grounds in initially small groups, um, carrying out training sessions in in threes and fours that we saw for the first couple of weeks, before then the, the full contact and full team trainings that started in the last week or so. Helping them adjust to those changes will have been um, a real key focus for the for the support staff at the clubs. After the break, why were the Premier League and its players vilified, and when did that change? While players and staff at clubs strive to stay mentally and physically sharp during the suspension, the Premier League faced the tricky task of trying to finish the season during a global health crisis that was financially devastating. Meetings with club officials and other vital stakeholders to talk through a mountain of issues were imperative yet the league was vilified for talking through how it could return when it was safe to do so. They were, to use Ian Wright's phrase, a punching bag. It would have been remiss of them not to forward plan, just as any other business would, according to Dr. Rob Wilson, author of Managing Sport Finance. The Premier League did get vilified for, for, for coming up with some of these proposals early on, but you're, you're right to say that's not out with any of you know a number of major organizations outside of sport that were looking at how they might get back to you know to what might constitute normal i'm sure your employers are doing that mine certainly are and i think what we're what we're finding with project restart of course in the next few days is that actually that's the outcome of a huge amount of planning of taking an, an, an enormous amount of advice from government about looking at the sensitivities around the, the current uh, health pandemic uh, of course, all the people that have lost their lives in that and the NHS workers and key workers that have supported the country over the last um, 10 or 12 weeks in particular, but probably longer than that as well. So I think you know, to answer your question, it's the best job that they can do in a very, very difficult circumstance and, and balancing so many stakeholders. And I think, you know, all businesses are looking at how they might continue trading. The Premier League is no different to that. And I think this is ultimately the outcome that they probably need to see. And, and within the safety of the government guidelines that they're being given is probably the best scenario that they could have hoped for. Where we are now seems almost surreal given what preceded it. 
In March, when football and the wider public were still adapting to the life-altering effects of coronavirus, the government chose the game as its source of distraction. At the start of the following month, that was still the case. During one daily briefing, there was an impassioned plea from Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who said, Given the sacrifices many many people people are making, making, including some of my colleagues in the NHS, who've made the ultimate sacrifice of going into work and have caught the disease and have sadly died. I think the last thing, the the first thing that Premier League footballers can do is make a contribution, take a pay cut and play their part. Gary Neville eloquently responded on Twitter that calling players out when he can't get tests in place for the NHS staff is a fucking cheek. Julian Knight, the Conservative MP, accused football of operating in a moral vacuum. Former Newcastle United player Ryan Taylor feels the government's narrative around footballers has been despicable. Why target footballers? I mean, at the end of the day, footballers have got in the position they are just through to hard work, determination and obviously, you know, ability, but you know there's there's no reason why and i know they get paid really well but why use them as you know scapegoats to start funding and 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 getting some money from somewhere where you know there's plenty of other jobs out there which which pay really well too so i was quite sad in the fact that footballers seem to be the targets and especially you know premier league footballers and then and then it's up to them then to you know because if they didn't do anything they would have got a lot of criticism, but obviously, you know, they, they, they rallied round and they stuck together and and obviously they did, but to get it sort of the ball rolling, it was it was quite sad, really. To sort of target players and think, oh, well, they, they actually don't do anything. Um, it, it's so wrong because in the real world, they actually do. They do a lot for communities. They, every football club will do stuff for, for, for their own community but you know it never gets publicized and i think and i think maybe clubs now need to stand up for themselves and say listen we do do a lot and players need to do exactly the same too otherwise if anything like this was to happen again you know that they'll just call them out again and it's like well we know where we can maybe get some money from but you know sort of do a little bit of background checking before you you target people who actually do a lot as time passed The tone changed. The government became desperate for the game to return, especially to TV sets around the UK, to help entertain the masses during lockdown and provide a morale boost. Darren Lewis details why players have been cynical of their portrayal by the government. I think in relation to the way that footballers are treated by the government, I know a lot of them are not surprised by the fact that the health secretary, Matt Hancock, saw an open goal when he was asked about their pay and he took it and criticised them and turned all the attentions on the footballers when it should have been on the government and its handling of the coronavirus. I think it was quite striking to find out afterwards when the health secretary himself was asked whether he would take a pay cut. He said he would work harder. Go figure. But I think as far as the players are concerned, Yeah, we've all seen it, haven't we? One minute they're being criticised for their wages and the next minute they are being asked to lift the mood of the nation. I think Danny Rose 
spoke quite well about it when he said, look, that's not my job. My job is to play football and perform well for the club that pays my wages and to represent my country if I'm called upon when I pull on the shirt. But, you know, in terms of the mood of the nation and the morale of the nation, that's to do with the politicians, the prime minister, the health secretary, produce policies that help people to feel good about their health and the way that they're being treated. And then, maybe then, the morale of the nation will rise. So you can see why the... Players are very cynical about the way that they've been treated by the politicians and uh, are probably not surprised either. The Premier League finally had a powerful external ally, but there was still a wealth of internal fires to put out, quietening the null and void crowd, squashing self-interest, assessing neutral venues, getting the broadcasters on side, massively investing to secure a safe working environment, convincing players to buy into the return. We will explore the major issues the Premier League had to hurdle for Project Restart to become a reality over the course of the next two episodes. For quite a while, it felt like we'd only be discussing problems. Hurrah for the solution! You have been listening to The Return of the Premier League, Episode 1, how we got here. In the next episode, we talk coronavirus testing with a Premier League player, delve into football's new normal, and assess how the Bundesliga helped Project Restart. It's sometimes easy to just think that, oh, the return of football is is the be all and end all, but I think, you know, I think there was a lot of pride in how how Germany handled the situation um, as a whole, as, as a government. The return of the Premier League is a Stakhanov production. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Our theme music is The Ground After a Summer Rain by At the End of Times, Nothing. Additional music comes from Power Druid, Brendan Muller, Dens and Pobicat. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. My name is Melissa Reddy. Thank you for listening. This was a Stakhanov production.